Hey, good morning. Welcome to True Life Church Online. It is great to be with you today. Uh, welcome wherever you are. If you're in Washington, welcome to you in Oregon, California, New York, Florida, Kentucky, Korea, and of course, those in the Denver area, we want to say welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. If it's your first time, welcome again to you and glad that you are joining us today. Right after our service, uh, we will meet for the virtual pastors meetup and I would love to see you there. We'd love to be able to talk with you. So please come to that. We'd love to hang out for a little bit and share a little bit more about our church and just answer any questions you have. We know this is a weird time to check things out and a weird time to visit, but we also know a lot of people are visiting and, and we're glad that you are here and we want life for you, faith and friendship. We want that always, uh, but maybe especially right now. And so we, we look forward to the day we can all be together and we are not in the same room, but we have the same God and we have the same Bible that God speaks to us in our lives. And we have the same Holy Spirit that wants to draw us into relationship with Him. So we are thankful for that, that though we can't be in the same place right now, you're in your couch or you're in your bed or your living room floor, or wherever you are, we are united in spirit because the Holy Spirit unites us together and speaks with us. And so I'm going to pray for us and ask him to do that, speak to us even right now in our homes and ask that God would bless our time together. So Father, we pray that you would move uh, wherever uh, people are, whoever's listening. God, you drew them here. You brought them here. You have something for them. I believe that. And I ask that you would speak to our hearts where we most need it. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're talking about having a restart. Many things have stopped, but it kind of gives us space to rethink how we want life to be, how we want faith to be and friendship to be and family to be and maybe even our just kind of purpose and goals in life that we have an opportunity to really kind of restart when things go back the way that, now they probably won't go back to how they used to be, but when things go back and we come out of this, that we have an opportunity to restart and do things differently, do things better. Today we're talking about relationships. We want healthy relationships. And what could help our relationships restart? Our relationships get into patterns and they get into routines. And even over time, things maybe build up in our hearts where we kind of, I don't know if I want to say bitterness, maybe for some of us there's bitterness, but things kind of build up and maybe view people a little bit differently. But if we could restart our relationships. And I, when I say restart, I don't mean that we stop them and, and get new ones. But I mean, if we could restart, if, if new life could be injected into them, if they could be done better and differently in the old patterns and routines that have gotten created, the old ruts that we have found ourselves in could be repaved and made straight. And there wouldn't be ruts and we'd be on the, the straight path. Um, there wouldn't be all the you know the old patterns and routines but we would create new ones what could happen if that was the case in our marriage in our family in our parenting in our friendships in our co-working uh, relationships with, with even with those that we relate to in authority over us bosses and in church and well, what could happen if our relationships had a restart we were able to do them healthier better different what could happen. Let me ask it this way. What could happen if the hardest relationship in your life improved? And what could happen if the best relationship in your life got better? Our relationships 
often determine the quality of our life. The quality of our relationships is often equal to the quality of our life. You don't usually say, I hate my boss, but oh, my work life is so great. Because the quality of our relationships in any avenue, in any form, usually determines the quality of our life. And so what would happen if our relationships were to get better, healthier? If our relationships could have new patterns, new routines, new habits, new practices, if there was new energy, we could restart in our relationships. And there's many things that we could talk about about that. There's a lot of different things I could say about here's how we have healthy relationships and healthy community and marriage and friendships and all sorts of stuff. But as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I want to focus in on a key area that Jesus gives to us because I think it's one of the keys to health in our relationships and yet is often one that we don't focus on at all. It's a key in our health relationships. It's a key in a way to restart our relationships and yet I think it's one we don't really pay attention to. It's one we might not even think is a problem, Jesus says. And so I want you to think about one, maybe two relationships that you want to see grow. You want to see them improve. You want to see them get healthier. You want to see them restart. It might be your kids. It might be your spouse. It might be the person sitting next to you. It might be the person you wish was sitting next to you. But I, I want you to think about one or two relationships, and we're going to talk about what we need to see those restart. And to begin with, I'm going to ask this question. What is it that hurts our relationships? What do you think causes the pain, the problems, the difficulty in our relationships? And, and there's many things, of course, that that can be. But the one we're going to look at is one of the keys that, again, often gets ignored. And this is going to be in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. And, you know, we're, we were going through a series in Luke and we took a break, but I keep coming back to it because it's got such great stuff. When we talk about restarting our relationship with God and restarting our relationships with others, and so we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. I'll read this, and then we'll talk about what is it that hurts our relationships, how to have relational health, and how we do this. So verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you he also told them a parable can the blind guide the blind won't they both fall into a pit a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye well, how can you say to your brother Brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when, you're, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. What hurts our relationships? Jesus says one of the most destructive things. This is one of Jesus' longest sermons that we have, and it's one of the first that we have that's recorded. And he focuses on this topic and says one of the things that hurts our relationships greatly is judgment. Now, let me explain about this because I, I do think that sometimes there's confusion around judgment in our culture. A lot of times people say, don't judge me, or only God can judge me, or that people are judgy, and, and we kind of use judgment as uh, something negative and view it negatively. But 
We need to be judgmental. We need to judge. We cannot have a functioning society and you cannot have a functioning life without being judging, without being judgmental to in, in the right way, to the right degree. We'll, we'll talk about what Jesus is speaking to, but I just need to make sure we clarify what we're actually talking about. We judge all the time. We make moral judgments. Is it wrong to kill someone? Is it right to help those in need? We make moral judgments all the time about things. We make consumer choices with judgment. We say, is this product worth the money? We go on Amazon and look at the reviews and say, is this a good product? And we judge if it is or if it's not. We make judgments around what we want to teach our kids. Whether you're a teacher or a parent, we say, I want my kids to know these things because this is good to know. That is a judgment. And when they do things that are wrong, there is discipline and teachers grade papers. They are making judgments. None of us would say, I don't want to use my judgment when it comes to buying a house. I don't have any sense of judgment. I'm not going to judge. If you went to buy a house and your real estate agent said to you, don't judge then that would not be good, right? We use judgment all the time when it comes to moral decisions, when it comes to parenting, teaching, when it comes to consumer choices, all the time we are using judgment. We have a judicial system with judges. We have a government that makes laws. And if you don't like those laws, it's because you are being judgmental in a good sense, saying, I don't think this is right. I don't think it leads to this. I don't think it leads to human flourishing. Whatever it is, we have a judicial system. We have a political system. All of that is based on judgment. That is not what Jesus is talking about. If there is sin in your life, if there's wrong in your life, it is okay to say that is wrong. Jesus is talking about something different. Jesus is talking about something that can hurt our relationships and that is present very much so and we often ignore. What Jesus is speaking about is a heart attitude. He's speaking about a propensity, a proclivity, a disposition, a bent, a leaning towards seeing the wrong in others. We listen to what people say, we watch what people do, we see people's characteristics, and we assume bad. We assume the worst, or we assume negatively. We believe that their words mean this, and their actions mean this badly. We believe we know their motives, and that their motives are wrong. It's a heart attitude and posture of finding fault, of seeing error. Now, if we're honest, many of us are like this. And it's way easier to be like this. In fact, what Jesus actually says, what it literally says here when he says, do not judge, is stop judging, which is assuming that we are doing this. It's not a warning. It's not a, a, a proactive warning saying, hey, if ever the opportunity comes, don't do this. He is actually saying, stop doing this, which assumes that we actually are constantly doing this. I mean, if you just think about it, isn't it easier? I know it is for me. I mean, let's just be honest here. Isn't it easier to see the wrong in our world than the good? Isn't it easier to see the wrong in people than the good? If I said, come up with 10 things that you don't like about your spouse, you might be able to nail them down really quick. 
Come up with 10 things that you don't like about your coworker or your boss. You might be able to knock them down real quick. But if I said, come up with 10 encouraging things, 10 ways that, 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 10 things where you see God working, 10 things that you are thankful for, that's often harder to do. I'm not saying it's impossible to do, but we are much quicker normally to see fault, to see error, to complain. Which is why there's often so much talk about gratitude and thankfulness because even from a secular standpoint in our culture, we recognize that there's a need to focus on things that are good. We are prone to seeing the faults in others. To be judgmental is a heart posture that sees and, and if you want to use this language, kind of puts a bad spin on the words, actions, characteristics, motives that we see in others. Here's how uh, Dr. David Powelson, the late David Powelson, Christian author, counselor, he says it like this. We judge others, criticize, nitpick, nag, attack, condemn, because we literally play God. This is heinous. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? That's from James. Who are you when you judge? None other than a God wannabe. In this we become like the devil himself. No surprise that the devil is mentioned in James 3.15 and 4.7. We act exactly like the adversary who seeks to usurp God's throne and who acts as the accuser of the brethren. When you and I fight, our minds become filled with accusations. Your wrongs and my rights preoccupy me. We play the self-righteous judge in the mini kingdom we establish. You are so stupid, cruel, insensitive, selfish. You've gotten in my way. You don't get it. You are a hindrance to my agenda. This is how he describes what judgment is. The judgment that Jesus is speaking of, that he says hurts our relationships, is a judgment that's a heart posture that sees the wrong in others, assumes the wrong in others. When you get a text and you say, I think they actually meant this, and we read tone into it, we read we read people's body language and think, I know what they mean, I know, I can see it on their face. We read emails. And we believe that we know the, the message that they were trying to get across. We believe we can read the tone into things. We believe we know why people did things. We assume the motivation that's there and we think it negatively. That is what judgment is. When, when I was a kid, um, I, I, wore, I, I had glasses. I didn't really wear them because I was embarrassed to wear them. And I remember in um, eighth grade, I think it was, that someone confronted me and said, why are you so stuck up? You know, I always say hi to you and, you know, I'm walking by you in the hall and, and you don't say hi to me. And the truth was, I didn't see them because I didn't wear my glasses. So I was in sin, but it was a different kind of sin. It was the sin of fear of man and, be, and being concerned about what people thought of me, not the sin of being stuck up. But so quick, our hearts, our minds are ready to read into the email, read into the text, read into the reason why someone did something or why someone didn't do something, read some into something, why someone said something or didn't say something, and assume negative. Assume the worst. Assume a negative spin on why and what people are doing that we lead with suspicion, not trust. 
We lead with being cynical, not seeing the good. We lead with seeing bad, finding fault, not assuming the best. Now, look, here's the opposite of this. This is maybe another helpful way to think about this. This is from author Ken Sandy. He's written extensively on the topics of peacemaking and started a ministry called Peacemaking and Conflict and Conflict Resolution and Relational Wisdom, all these different ministries and things. He's an expert in this area. And here's what he says about this. And I just want you to listen and try to think about honestly, okay? We we just, no no one else knows. Just try to think about honestly, does this describe you? Is this who you are? Here's what he says, making a charitable judgment, that means a good one and thinking the best, making a charitable judgment means that out of love for God, you strive to believe, means you're trying to do this. You strive to believe the best about others until you have facts to prove otherwise, that we are striving to believe the best in that email, in that text, in that action that we saw, in that passing greeting that someone gave, in the words that they spoke, in why they made the choices that they made. We are striving to believe the best unless facts show 100% otherwise. In other words, if you can reasonably interpret facts in two possible ways, God calls you to embrace the positive interpretation over the negative or at least to postpone making any judgment at all until you can acquire conclusive facts. Paul teaches that love, this is from 1 Corinthians 13, that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In other words, love always looks for reasonable ways to trust others, to hope that they are doing what is right, and to interpret their words and actions in a way that protects their reputation and credibility. This is the essence of charitable judgments. I love how he says that when we when we see two different things, and it could go one way or the other, because literally we have thousands of opportunities a week like that, where we can interpret something this way, we can interpret it that way. Which is your proclivity? If your proclivity, if your, if your main way of doing things is to interpret things negatively, and maybe you say, I don't do that with everybody, but maybe it's, maybe it's a particular person. That is judgmental. That is the essence of what Jesus is talking about that hurts our relationships. We are called, like Jesus says, and like the rest of the Bible says, and like Ken Sandy says, to, unless proven otherwise, assume the best, to strive and work hard and look for the reasonable ways we can interpret things in the best possible light. So often that's not the case. I think we are experts at being judgmental. Do you assume the best? Is that how you would describe yourself? Is that how others would describe you? Are you someone that continually fights to assume what they meant with their words, the reason they're doing things, their intentions is good. Is that that who you are? Jesus says that judgment hurts our relationships. And here's, here's part of the problem. This is a big problem. The problem is, and maybe you're experiencing this even right now, the problem is we don't think we're judging. See, one of the greatest things that will hurt you and I's relationships, our, our kids, our marriage, our coworkers, our relationships in church and community group, one of the biggest things that will hurt our relationships is being judgmental. But the problem is we so often are blind 
to it. Jesus teaches on not being judgmental and then immediately gives two illustrations or parables on being blind. The blind leading the blind and then they fall into a pit and then the whole beam in the eye and the splinter in the other person's eye and he is saying we are blind to this. That the person that is judgmental doesn't think they're being judgmental. In fact, they think they're being helpful. The person, it says, goes to the other person and says, brother, let me take out the splinter that's in your eye. That sounds helpful, right? He doesn't say, hey, idiot, come here. You got a stick in your eye. He doesn't say that. He, he believes he's being helpful. The person that is judgmental, this is why this is so tricky and so hard. The person being judgmental often believes that they're right, that they're mature, that they're being helpful. Maybe that they're even being loving and honest with another person. I'm just speaking my heart. I'm just getting this off my chest. I just need to share this with you. I'm, I'm just trying to help you. just want to bring this to your attention. The person being judgmental actually thinks they're being godly, actually thinks they're being mature is what Jesus presents to us. They think they're leading someone even, and they are into a pit, and they are seeing things in people's eyes. But the problem is their vision is distorted. Blindness and judgment go hand in hand. We judge and we are blind. And if we don't see, if we don't see our own faults and our own sin, then we can't actually help others. If we don't see the gravity of our own sin, there's no way we can actually help other people. To say that there's a beam in our eye means that our vision is distorted. It means we look at other people and think there's something wrong with them and I'm right and I'm godly and I'm mature and I'm loving and I'm helpful, but there's a beam in my eye, Jesus is saying. Your vision, you can't see clearly if you have a beam in your eye. I mean, if you have a giant, and the word for beam is actually like a giant pillar, like a column, think um, like Greek temples with those big round columns and saying that is in your eye. Which obviously, if that's in your eye, you can't see correctly. You think you see correct. You will say, no, I saw it. It's just the facts. And I know what they meant. I know what they said. I feel this way. Jesus is saying our emotions can be blind. Our sight can be blind. Our facts are not necessarily facts. Our vision is often distorted. Back to Ken Sandy, here's what he says about the kinds of beams or the kinds of logs that are in our eyes. He says there's generally two kinds of logs that people need to look for when dealing with conflict. First, they need to ask whether they have had a critical, negative, or overly sensitive attitude that has led to unnecessary conflict. See, if we have a critical attitude, we're going to think that something is wrong with everybody. If we have a negative attitude, we're going to perceive things wrongly. If we have an overly sensitive attitude, we're going to perceive wrongs against us all the time that haven't happened. And Ken and Jesus say those are logs. They're blocking our vision. We don't see right. And the second kind of log that people must deal with is actual sinful words and actions that, that they've brought to the equation, that they've brought to the table. It's easy to see the wrong in somebody else, but maybe the log is blocking the fact that we brought that about. It doesn't mean that their sin is excused, but we contributed to it. We had sinful actions and attitudes that created the problems in the relationships. Jesus is saying we are judgmental and it hurts our relationships. And on top of that, the problem is 
We're blind to it. We don't think we're doing it. What hurts our relationships? Seeing ourselves wrongly, seeing others wrongly, judgment. Okay, so what creates relational health? We want our relationships to be better. We want them to restart. Again, think about one or two people. Think about how judgment has impacted those relationships in your life. So what would create relational health? And Jesus gives us a few things there too. First, he says to forgive. He says, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. He calls us to forgive. Now, to forgive assumes assumes that sin will be done against us. The call to forgive here and all throughout the Bible assumes that people are going to hurt us. It assumes that people are going to judge us and speak against us and betray us and leave us out and say unkind things to us. It assumes that we will be sinned against. The call to forgive means that in your relationships, you cannot protect yourself from sin. Instead of trying to protect ourselves from relationships where we will be sinned against, we need to actually create forgiveness in our relationships. Because maybe you're saying, I'm not being judgmental. What if they are doing this? What if the, I do have conclusive facts that they are? I'm not reading into anything. I'm not assuming motive or intention or, or action. I, they did this to me. Maybe you're right. Jesus says, here's what we need to create health in our relationships. We need to forgive. Listen, the greatest love in our relationships, if you want to have loving relationships, and if you think you have loving relationships, the greatest love is not when things are going well. It's when things are going wrong. The greatest love shown is in forgiveness. Just like Jesus on the cross, forgiving. His, his love was displayed for us and shown to us. Not just everything was going well, but in his forgiveness of our sin. The greatest love is seen in forgiveness. Another way to say that is you don't really love people until you forgive them. You don't really know how loving of a marriage you have, how loving of a family have, how loving of a community have until you are sinned against and choose to forgive or not forgive. The most loving community, the most loving marriage, the most loving family is the most forgiving community. I can see a marriage that is filled with love, not just if they buy each other a bunch of flowers and chocolates and look into each other's eyes deeply, but if they sin against each other and there's forgiveness. That is true love. And Jesus calls us to bring forgiveness into our relationships. Sometimes we forgive by going to somebody and saying, I forgive you. You've sinned against me and I forgive you. But oftentimes, we just need to bring into our relationships a forgiving spirit. The Bible also talks about overlooking offenses. Sometimes we think that we are mature when we continually confront people on their sin. And there's a time and a place to confront sin when it's grievous and when it completely dishonors God and it's damaging the relationship to a heavy extent. But oftentimes, the Bible calls us to just overlook things. You're going to be sinned against all the time. And if every single offense that your kids do to you, that your spouse does to you, that your boss, coworkers, friends do to you, you feel the need to confront, and you even think maybe it's godly and speaking the truth in love, you're wrong. We need to overlook, to, to forgive actions that need to be forgiven and say, I forgive you, but also to bring a forgiving spirit, just the same way that we can bring a judgmental spirit that says, my posture, my disposition is to overlook. And listen, overlook doesn't mean that you don't say anything about it, but you feel bitter. To overlook means that you just, 
You're not allowing everything to get at you and you're willing to have a forgiving and a charitable spirit brought into your relationships. Sometimes, let me say this too, I think maybe somebody needs to hear hear this. Sometimes what has kept us from relationships, maybe even particularly in the church, but maybe even you're scared of marriage or I don't know, maybe even having kids. Sometimes what has kept us from relationships is the fear of getting hurt. And maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe people have judged you, sinned against you, done things against you. And what keeps us from entering into relationships is we're trying to keep ourselves safe. We don't want to be hurt. And I understand that. I get that. But you won't ever be able to have deep, loving relationships, which is what you actually want, unless you're willing to risk getting hurt. And listen to me. As your pastor, as someone that loves you, you're going to get hurt. Jesus never promises that you're not going to get hurt in relationships, which is why the Bible's filled with teaching saying, I don't just want you to have these beautiful, loving relationships. I want you to have forgiving relationships. That's what holds relationships together. It's not just everything going well, it's forgiveness. So let me, that's, that's the first one. What creates relational health is forgiveness or forgiving spirit. The second one, briefly, is to give. He says, give and it will be given to you which means that we don't just forgive, that's a reactive posture. People do things against us and we release them from it, but we also are to give. And the passage before this is when Jesus is talking about loving enemies. He says, do good to those that hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, they take your cloak, give them your other cloak. That it's a posture of serving and blessing. It's not just do no harm, it's to do good. It's not just to release those that sin against you, but if we want to restart our relationships and have relational health, it's to actually give. And that's to those that are giving to us and those that are not giving to us. So that's number two. Forgive, give. And then the third one is to remove the log. And we we talked about that as it relates to blindness. But if we want to have relational health, part of what we have to do is to remove the beams that, that we could you know, supply Home Depot with. We have to remove the beams from our eyes in order to have relational health. And, and what does that mean? If Jesus says, take it out. If you've got a beam in your eye, before you go confront your brother, take out the beam. Well, it means to confess. To remove the beam is to see the sin and to confess it, which means we have to self-examine. We have to see our hearts and our actions and be able to honestly look at those things. And then we confess. Listen, let me ask you, what are the relational problems that you're experiencing right now? With your kids, with your spouse, the one to two relationships, community, church, work. What's the one to two relationships? What are the relational problems that are present there? And it's so easy for us to see what the other person is doing, right? Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Take the beam out of your own eye first. If we did that, That would transform our relationships. That would lead to relationships restarting, relational health. He says, I want you to focus on your sin. I want you to confess and see where your heart's been off, where maybe you've been overly sensitive, or maybe where you've contributed to this. Instead of starting with judging, instead of starting with seeing what's wrong, we have to start with ourselves. Which means, by the way, that it should look to us like a beam. If you say, yeah, I know, you know, we both bring something to the table and, you know, it takes two to tango. And it means, though, yours should look to you like a beam. If your sin doesn't look to you like a giant 
pillar in your eye, you're not yet seeing it correctly. Because listen, we can see the external of another person, but we can see the external of ourselves and the internal. We know our motives. We know our thoughts. We know our hearts. We know what goes on in the darkest parts of ourself. And to, to be able to see it as a beam is to, is to take an honest look at ourselves and to know, wow, I, I've actually sinned a lot. I actually haven't loved my neighbor as myself. Sometimes it takes other people to help us with that. Sometimes it takes good, uh, and you know, I can provide these, but anyone wants to email me. Sometimes it takes good sort of self-examination questions to ask ourselves and to think through and look through what's really going on. But Jesus says we have to start with taking the beam out of our eyes before we ever confront others. And only then can we confront others because it gives us a new humility because we've seen how giant our sin is. If I, if I see a little cut on your finger and I just had triple bypass surgery and giant you know, scars down my chest, there's no way I can make fun of your little cut or, or talk about how you know, stupid you are and careless you are to get a little cut when I've got giant slashes through my, my chest and, and my heart's been put back together. See, when we actually are able to see the beamness of our sin, then we come to others when we see their stuff with humility. We come with a new clarity because now the beam is gone. And we can see, maybe I was looking at that wrong. Maybe I was actually just being judgmental. Or we can see what is there, but there's a totally new uh, change in us, a totally new clarity and humility that allows us to confront. The order changes us. That's important. The order. Jesus says, first take the beam out, then go to other people if you need to. The order changes us. Because sometimes we confront other people and we hash it all out there together. Jesus says, I want you to start before you ever go to them. Get the beam out of your eye. When you do that, the order changes you. It changes you because it changes the content of what you see. It looks like a splinter now to you. You know you're ready to confront someone when it looks like a splinter. If it doesn't look like a splinter, if it looks like a giant beam, you're not really ready yet. That might be a hard truth to think about. But that is what the process helps create in us. You know that you're ready when the content is different. It looks, it, it's shrunk from a beam to a splinter. And maybe it's shrunk all the way that we just say, you know what, I was wrong. And we overlook it. Secondly, it changes the content and it changes our posture. We become gentle. Have you ever had someone take something out of your eye before? I used to wear hard contact lenses and sometimes they'd get stuck all the way up in the top of my eye and I'd have to pull it back and ask my mom or someone to kind of reach in. Can you see it? And reach in there and get it out. And, and they wouldn't poke and they're not going to grab, you know, some salad tongs and try to pull it out. They're going to gently do it. And when you see a splinter in someone's eye, when I see a splinter in my kid's hands, I mean, it changes the content of what you actually see and it changes your approach, creates a gentleness creates a, a, a posture of tenderness and care that you're, you're not poking at them and accusing them. You're actually gently wanting to remove a little splinter. That's what happens. The order changes us, which is why Jesus says, you want relational help? Forgive, give, and remove the log from our eye before we ever confront somebody else. Those things would dramatically change our relationships. Think about what would happen. If with our spouse, if with our kids, if with our coworkers, if church relationships, what would happen if we do this? Maybe here's another way to think about it. Think about two paths, two trajectories, because maybe even right now you've got different 
I don't know, defenses or excuses or questions or, yeah, but what about this? Or what about this? And some of that can be valid, but let's just deal with this that Jesus gives to us right now. And I want you to just think about two different roads that lead to two different destinations. There's the road of, I'm judgmental. I see the faults. I assume the worst. I look for what's wrong. And I think many of us are on that road without even knowing it. And I'm not saying 100%, but we walk that road. We come back to it. And maybe it's not with everybody, but maybe it's with particular people. And there's a road of, I see what's wrong, and I think that they meant this, and I think they said this, and I think that this is why they did this, and I bet this, and I don't know, but I think, where is that road going to lead you? Is that going to lead to healthy relationships if you do that in your marriage? Is that going to lead to healthy relationships in the church? Is that going to lead to healthy relationships with your kids? Or there's the, the road that says, I'm going to assume the best about people. I'm going to forgive. I'm, I'm going to really, the three things that Jesus gives us, forgive, give, and removing the log, that, the, the opposite of judgment, that all describes mercy. A mercy in our attitude, a mercy in our actions with people. And, and where's that road going to lead? Where's the road going to lead? And I know we've got excuses and yeah, but what if they did this? And what about my rights? And what, where's the road of mercy going to lead you? With your kids, with your spouse, with church? Where's the road of assuming the best going to lead you? And listen, just honestly in my heart, I want to rock. I want to walk the road that leads to mercy. I want to walk the road that assumes the best about people, that looks at them and, and doesn't read in negatively to their intentions or their thoughts or their words or think I can see their motives. I want to walk the road that assumes the best because I just think that's going to lead to a better destination. I think that's going to lead to a better place. And Jesus, in fact, says that. He says that God will bless us. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, what is the measure? I mean, just think about that. If, if, if we take that seriously, do you want to be measured by the measurement that you use against the person you are most judgmental towards. That's convicting. Do we want the measure used against us to be the same measurement that we use towards those we are most mm, cynical, suspicious of? What Jesus says is that when we approach relationships like this, we will experience his blessing. And it's kind of giving this image of, of grain that you go in to get and, and it gets measured and you press it down and shake it together and, and you're trying to get the most you can in there. He says that's how God's going to bless us. And that doesn't mean financially necessarily. That's a lot of times where our mind goes. But it means relationally. Maybe our relationships are just going to be healthy and we'll be blessed with that. Or maybe we'll experience more of God through doing this because we lean into needing Him more. And maybe it is reward. The Bible does talk about reward. That Again, that doesn't always mean financial, but that God will bless us and give us rewards because we're modeling His heart so much. Uh, there's a, we like to go to a farmer's market and sometimes there's vegetable bags. Uh, $10, fill up as much as you can you know, in the bag and and to me, I love it. It's just kind of a fun game. And take some of the big things first, put the cucumbers, the zucchini in there, and then the carrots, and kind of have this whole system down and jam in the green beans last because they can fit in all the crevices and the cracks and stretch out the bag and trying to get as much of the vegetables in there as I can. And, and Jesus says, 
That's what God's going to do to you when you live like this. That he's going to try to push in, shake it around, push it down so that it's overflowing. That's the measurement that God gives to us when we treat people with mercy and grace like this. Because it so models his heart and it delights him. He loves it. So, what hurts our relationships? Judgment and the blindness that accompanies that. What creates relational health, we could summarize it with saying mercy, but forgiveness, giving, taking the log out of our eye. Finally, how do we do this? How do we actually get the ability to do this? Because it, it's difficult to approach our relationships like this or particular relationships like this. And we really get kind of a, a clue here on how to do this when we look at verse 40. And it says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, Who's the one teaching this? Jesus. He's the one that we want to become like. He is the teacher that we want. We are his disciples, and we want to be fully trained to be like him. And Jesus is perfectly merciful. The verse right before this, before uh, verse, in verse 36, it says, Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. See, we have a merciful God. And the more that we follow him, get to know him and experience his mercy to us, that changes us. We become fully trained to be like him. We become like him as we see him and as we experience his mercy and grace to us. Because this, all the things that he calls us to, is how he is to us. If you think about it, Jesus is a judge, yes, but he's not judgmental. Jesus, and listen, some of you need to really believe this. God is not going around just trying to find faults with you. Oh, I see you did this wrong. Oh, there you did that wrong. That is what Satan does. Satan is the accuser. Jesus is a perfect judge, but he's not going around judgmentally turning over every rock and looking at everything and finding all these faults with you. That's not Jesus's heart. And Jesus is not condemning. Jesus says in, in the book of John, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. When Jesus sees sin in your life, in my life, he moves towards it with grace and love. See, all the things that he calls us to, that's already who he is. Who he is, not just abstractly, but who he is to you, who he is to us. That he is not judgmental, that he is not condemning, that he is forgiving. Jesus has seen all the stuff in your life. And listen, for some of you that say, I can't forgive myself. I know God forgives me. He wants you to know his forgiveness even more. Because that's the real key to experiencing no shame and no guilt is not just forgiving yourself. It's experiencing his forgiveness. He says he is the merciful one, the one that on the cross forgave us of our sins, that sees into the depths of our souls the worst of us, that maybe we haven't shown to anybody else. He sees it. He forgives. And he gives. He gives. He blesses. He does good in our lives. He serves us. And listen to this. Jesus has no log in his eye. He sees you perfectly. All the faults, all the flaws, all the mistakes, all the foolishness. He sees us perfectly. No log. He knows us to the depths. And what does he do? He says, I want you in my family. I want you to be mine. I want you to be a part of myself. I want to unite you to me. 
He sees us perfectly, and He sees our sin perfectly, and He treats us with gentleness. He sees the splinter in our eye, and He comes to us. The Holy Spirit comes with conviction, not accusation, comes and says, I want to get these things out of your life because I love you. He gently shows us, there's a problem here. I love you. Let me help you. He does that over our whole life. He is a gentle sanctifier. He is not poking around, accusing. Jesus isn't like that at all. Sometimes, for some reason, we have a distorted picture that that's what God is like. We think that's what maturity even looks like as Christians, is to poke everybody. It's not. Jesus gently brings up our faults and shows us because he loves us and wants good for us. We want to restart in our relationships, don't we? I mean, what if our relationships were full of mercy, full of grace, not full of judgment? What if we assume the best about people, not the worst? What if in every opportunity, we get thousands of them, we said, I'm going to strive to believe the best. I'm going to overlook offenses. This is what will restart our relationships. It'll transform them from the top to the bottom. All relationships in our life, this will bring greater relational health when we do this. We're, we're going to take communion in a moment. And in communion, we're remembering that this is what Jesus did, his mercy. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. That on the cross, God's perfect justice, he dealt with sin, and his perfect mercy were combined in a way that no one could fathom, no one could imagine, that God himself would say, mercy is going to win. Judgment, I'll take it. It's not going to be for you. I will take the judgment on myself, and instead I'll give you grace and mercy. That's the Christ that we have. That's the Savior we have. That's the Lord that we have. And the more that we are experiencing that from him, it trains us to be that in all of our relationships. So when we take communion, I want you to remember that. I want you to think about that goodness that you have and confess your sin to him. Confess your judgment to him. Ask him to help you see the logs and repent of them. Remove them. And then I want to give you this last practical application. I want to ask us to do this. That every day this week, and maybe we should do it every day this month, but every day this week, I'm going to read this prayer for us and ask you to repeat after me. But every day this week, and I'll, we'll post this up, I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to pray this prayer every day because it will transform your relationships. It will transform our church. It will transform our city. So I'm going to pray. Repeat after me. And, and then I would encourage you to take this prayer and, and pray it every day this week. So let's come to God. Father, I pray, even as I pray this prayer, that you would help us to make this our own and across every screen, that you would speak to our hearts and allow us to have a moment of genuine confession and petition asking you for help as it relates to our relationships. So repeat after me. Lord, help me to judge others as I want them to judge me. Charitably, not critically privately, not publicly, gently, not harshly, in humility, not pride. Help me to believe the best about others until facts prove otherwise, to assume nothing, to seek all sides of the story, 
and to judge no one until I've removed the log from my own eye. May I never bring only the law to find fault and condemn. Help me to always bring the gospel to give hope and deliverance as you, my judge and friend, have so graciously done for me. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that that you have given us overflowing amounts of mercy. We pray you would forgive us of our judgment, help us to see where that is present in our lives, and God, restart our relationships. Let them be better and stronger than they've ever been, marked by, filled with grace. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.